0: Gentlemen, welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. We are glad that you are with us as we get started. A friendly reminder that nothing we say here is meant to be perceived as the official statement of doctrine or belief of any particular school, church, or calling body. We are not affiliated with any particular school, church, or calling body, and that everything we say here is simply the belief or opinion of the man who states it and nothing more. Let's get started with the show. Today's
1: podcast is sponsored by the Christ for Disciples podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Steinberg, son of a Ken and father of five sons. Each weekday on the Christ for Disciples podcast, I apply God's word to raising the next generation. Take 10 minutes each weekday to listen to the Christ for Disciples podcast and get direction and gospel power to disciple the youngest generation. Subscribe to the Christ for Disciples podcast by going to ChristForDisciples.com or searching on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and whatever else. ChristForDisciples.com this episode
0: is also sponsored by Briga Beard General Beard Oils and Supplements. If you want to grow a strong, healthy beard, you need to take good care of it. And a good beard oil should be a part of your daily regimen. Brigger Beard General makes a variety of styles and scents, so you're sure to find one that you enjoy. My favorite is Deep in the Woods, and your facial follicles will thank you. You can buy Brigger beard General Beard Oil at sites.google.com forward slash General, or on Facebook, search for Brigger beard General. I'm also excited to be a part of the Men of Truth conference in New Ulm, Minnesota this year on April 2nd. The vision of Men of Truth is to gather Christian men together around God's word to consider the blessings, challenges, and opportunities in their lives and to empower and equip them to carry out their God-given mission in their homes, churches, and communities. This year's theme is encouragement in a darkening world. You can find more information and register at menoftruth.org. I'll put all those links in the show notes below. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. This is the place where young men come to learn what it means to be a man after God's own heart. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead, and our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to be the men that God created them to be. So roll up your sleeves, gentlemen, and gird up. It's time to get to work. All right, today's guest on the podcast
1: is Pastor Matt Dobler. What's going on, Matt? Not much. It's great to be here. This is a great opportunity. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> I'm really excited to talk about your book. Um, but before we do that, uh, why don't we just tell the people who you are. Who is Matt Dobler?
1: Uh, Matt Dobler. Uh, I live in Thailand and serve as a missionary for the Wells. I work on the East Asia team. So most of our work is focused on like Southeast Asia. Um, Currently the team leader for that group and uh, spent a lot of time mentoring students, uh, run the mentoring program, uh, train all of our mentors. In fact, I'm starting that tomorrow, a new mentoring class, Um, teach classes, especially in like pastoral theology area. So currently teaching uh, introduction of pastoral theology with some of our master's students and um, married for 26 years have three grown kids and one grandson and my kids are spread uh-huh. all over like i've got one in milwaukee finishing up at wlc i've got another one in phoenix arizona and then our daughter and our grandson live in china cool
0: um it's, it's so first when you're, when you're talking about like uh teaching and things yeah. like that out in east asia do
1: you do all that in english um it's for me my my language skills aren't super, super high right now. So I do it when it's master's level, for sure. Um, I teach in English to students that are like at that level can speak in English, or, uh, when I teach a class, I have translation, um, or we do a lot of flipped classroom stuff. So I will record the lecture videos in English. Uh, and then we have, we have a whole like setup here for recording classes and then we'll add subtitles to it. So the, Students can watch them that way. And then in class, we have application and discussion. And that's usually with a, a facilitator. So if there's anything I'm not catching and uh, the nuances of the language or, you know, some phrase that I didn't catch or whatever, he'll he'll translate that for me. But he basically, he sort of runs a class and asks the students questions and everything.
0: That's awesome.
1: Is this something you wanted,
0: like that you wanted, that you were hoping to get a chance to do? Um, or is this something just kind of came about?
1: That's a, that's a good question. Uh, I don't, that's a, there's a long story behind all this, but um, uh, I decided to get my doctorate several years ago. And uh, the guy who uh, was a president of Asia Lutheran seminary uh, would contact me regularly to find out how I was doing on my doctorate. And uh, once I graduated, he said, you know, he would just meet with me. He was mentoring me at the time in different ways. And uh, eventually then um, he invited me and the family to come over, um, to East Asia to do a little bit of, uh, like getting to know people and, uh, teach a class. So I taught some of our, our initial group of master's students. I taught them church planting and multiplication. And, uh, we went back home and we were like, wow, that was interesting. I'm not exactly sure w- what happened there, but, uh, that was like an, in an, an, August, I think August of 2013 or something. And, uh, uh, it early in December, I got the call to uh, uh, come over and teach at Asia Lutheran Seminary, which is located in Hong Kong. And now we're in Thailand and all tied together with that. But there's a lot of, you know, here with COVID, there's a lot of stuff going on. So people have moved around at different places and so forth.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about that. How is, I mean, it's not the... It's not the easiest time, uh, to the best that you can answer this question, I guess. It's not necessarily the easiest (laughs) time in East Asia for Christians. Um, And then with COVID and things like that, that can make things a lot more difficult. How has that that impacted your ministry over there?
1: Great question. Uh, Like, yeah, like you said, I I can't share a ton about that. But uh, the, the combination of security issues and COVID has made it quite difficult, a lot of A lot of people have gone, a lot of missionaries and their families have gone through some pretty rough transitions. Um, It's been a lot to, you know, in many cases, people being um, kind of, let's say, soft, softly kicked out of the target countries uh, because, you know, governments saw this. There were already some governments are already trying to get rid of their missionaries uh, because they don't want that influence there. But then also COVID added to that, you know, and so. It feels like some agencies took advantage of that as an opportunity to like, oh, well, there's COVID anyway. So, you know, you got to leave and you can't come back and they make it more and more difficult to return um, to do your work. So it it's it's uh, God, God always uses this kind of thing for his glory. Uh, but it's been really challenging on a lot of families trying to adjust to what they were used to and the ways they were used to working. And now we're working in a totally different way. So going from face-to-face mentoring, going from face-to-face classes to everything being completely online and having to learn that like almost overnight. Um, we had originally had plans to start moving our classes more to, to online, but you know, God really sped that up, and all of a sudden it's like everything must be online, online at, at all times. Um, so we've got people on our you know called workers on our team who are becoming experts in curriculum development and becoming experts in uh flipped classroom methodology and adult education and everything else like that. So it's it's really cool in that way. So you get to learn all this new stuff and try all these new things. And um our our graduates now are teaching more than, more than ever. So they a lot of the ministry is in their hands. So all these great things happen, but the adjustments that came from all the the stress of security issues and COVID. Um, you know, it's it's taken a while to overcome that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, but it's cool to see the Lord working through it too. Um, and and based on what mm-hmm. I'm hearing, uh, the fact that we have been frustrated in a lot of ways about doing mission work over there hasn't necessarily slowed the spread of the gospel. Is that an accurate thing to say?
1: That very accurate. I mean, there are some you know ways to look at it where you're like, yeah, things really slowed down because. It's hard, difficult for churches to meet face to face, and they're you know they're small and they get scattered very easily. You know, there's some similarities to what happened in the United States when COVID kind of shut churches down, and then as they gathered back together, a lot of people were like, "Yeah, I, I'm doing my thing online now," and it's difficult to think about coming back together with people. So there's that. Um, you know, so there are the frustrations, but overall. Uh, The gospel just continues to explode and God brings us all kinds of new students that we didn't expect. So, you know, we started having to do things more like in a, you know, like uh, seeking for students in a different way than we had before. And so we ended up with, you know, our little seminary ended up with uh, about now it's up to like over 1400 uh, individuals who have taken what we call taste courses. So they can they can take one course for free from Asia Lutheran Seminary and learn what we're all about. And you know we've had 1,400 people uh, go through those courses, which is just shocking. So there's there's a hunger to learn more about the Christian faith here, especially what we're able by God's grace to bring to the table, which is confessional Lutheranism and law gospel focus, and that really is something that people are very interested in over here. That's awesome. It's really encouraging to hear too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, yeah. How
0: say okay, well before we move on what. Anybody that wants to uh, pray on behalf of the ministry
1: that you're doing um, over there, what's what what should we be praying for? That's a great question. Um, so it's the East Asia Team of the Well, so that's if you want to name them by name. And uh, Asia Lutheran Seminary is a part of that. You could pray just that God would... Um, not only keep us safe i think that's a real common prayer like keep all our missionaries and our and our you know the co-workers in country in these areas keep them all safe but i think more is like a, a humble confidence humble that i have absolutely no control whatsoever over what's going to happen tomorrow and that's that's what security issues and covid have revealed to us i mean when they when they basically say your visa doesn't work anymore that's it you gotta humble yourself and recognize God's somehow gonna use this because I gotta to have to move to another country. Uh, but confidence, knowing that, like this is how God works. I mean, when you know the, it's not quite this extreme, but there's the old saying the the blood of the martyrs of this is the seed of the church, and there's a sense that you know that when these things, these kind of things happen, all it does is advance the course of the gospel. So you know, pray for them to be confident. Um, the guys who are serving um, as pastors uh, in, in these areas, uh, it's, not, it's not an easy life for them in, in some respects, and it uh, doesn't get a lot of support, and yet they do it, and God even uses these kinds of things to expand the ministry. Like I said, the, you know our, our graduates now are all teaching our in- introductory levels of courses, and a lot of times face-to-face places we can't go. And so just pray for that. That's that combination of humility and confidence, humility to like, you know, let this stuff be in God's hands. Uh, but confidence that God at the same time is using this in powerful ways to make a difference. Uh, so that's a big part of it, I think. Yeah, I I love the fact that uh, it seems like a
0: growing number of um, foreign mission groups are starting to use the, the term diaspora to describe the kind of work that they're doing. And I, I love mm-hmm. that bold, bold connection that they make between the early church and, and the spread of the gospel there mm-hmm. uh, with what's going on. It's, it's just like, you could look at it in such a negative light if you wanted to like, look how hard mm-hmm. it is at the moment to share the, share the gospel in these mm-hmm. places. Um, and just take that and be like, man, what a wonderful challenge, you know, <laughs> and tie it You're back right. to the work of the right. early church. It's yep. a really cool. Attitude shift
1: yeah that's true. I mean just think about what happened when uh the church was scattered from Jerusalem That's where Antioch was born and Antioch became like the you know the the missionary sending church I mean they you know that's that that just amazing things happened out of that and that's because people were squeezed to the point that they they had to go you know they had to get out of their comfort zone, they had to get out of the center of where Christianity was and go to other places and do do the work. And they, it, it grew, and that's what we're seeing all over the place in Asia.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, it's kind of a, a perfect transition here into your book because the most of the work that's being done internationally in our own church body and in many others, uh, the work of the gospel, or the, the gospel is being spread by regular people who are just going out and, and sharing Their love for Mm -hmm. jesus right Mm -hmm. um and and that's also really encouraging um but like (laughs) i think as americans we kind of forget sometimes that you don't have to necessarily be somebody to just go out and tell people about your savior (laughs) yeah you know yep um with that in mind um why don't you tell us a little bit about your book here um it, well, yeah, just introduce it because I we haven't really talked about it
1: yet. What's it called, um, and what's it about? Yeah, so the title of the book is "God Loves Nobody's Good News for Somebody Like Me," and um, the the focus of the book is that, um, it, well, let's say it, let's start it this way. The target of the book is really people like me, people who've grown up in the church and know the gospel, but have a hard time truly believing that they're God's somebody's. And I wanted to make it accessible to people who don't know the gospel yet, but as I was writing it and thinking about audience, I was thinking about me. Um, this is what I've struggled with my entire life is I know my sins are forgiven. I I know that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. I know I'm going to heaven, um, all these things. And yet on a, on a daily basis, I really struggle with the concept that I actually am completely forgiven and, and even more so accepted completely, uh, in Christ. And, uh, and, and, and it has it has troubled like getting deep into my heart. Um, and so it's kind of like, do it, you know, do we need another book about um, you know, how we are loved and forgiven? And, and I, I say, yeah, because in practicality in daily life, we constantly struggle with, okay, I know these things. I know God loves me, but then I still act like I'm completely unloved or act like somehow I have to get into his favor. Or if if I you know I I know that he's my God he loves me I still have this sense however of not uh, having worth and so then I I set out to find my worth in what I accomplish um, what I look like how what I talk like how people accept me whatever it might be um, and so that God loves nobody's is bringing us back to this concept that that you may feel like an absolute nobody, but because the greatest somebody became a nobody, now you as a nobody have become somebody, if that makes any sense <laughs> at all. Um, yeah, so you've, I mean, you've been accepted and exalted. And it's just amazing when you read the scriptures, how often we are, you know, we are just exalted up to these unbelievable heights that as we think about them, I and mean, we just, we can't even fathom them. But if we could just get, the smallest glimpse, you know, like like a 10%, if we could understand 10% or 5% of what this exaltation actually meant, that we are really truly somebody through what Christ has done, um, it would just transform the way we look at everything. Um, so that's that's a long answer to your question, but that's basically what the book's about.
0: Right, and what I hear you kind of saying is what we've all heard since we were in middle school, right? The difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge, right? Like mm-hmm. I can give you the facts of the gospel, but what does that really mean in my day-to-day life? What does it really have? What impact does it really have on my on my faith and on my spiritual life? Like, does it change my identity, or does it just give me, you know, knowledge of of who my savior is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that what that that kind of Brings into my mind is that it, and this is part of the what's behind the book is that, I mean, we will say again and again, I know this, I know this, I know this, and yet, um, you know, late at night, I'm sitting up wondering if I have any value at all, and I'm totally worrying about the future because I think it's not secure, it's not in the hands of someone who knows exactly what I need, loves me to death, and wants me to, you know, wants me to prosper, in in the way that he knows I need to prosper best, Um, and so that. It again has head, head, heart knowledge, and I want to, through this book, that's one another way to say it. I want to drive what we know deep into our heart, um, so that we have that that humble confidence we were talking about before, to recognize I'm I'm nothing without this. I, I I'm nothing without God, but with Him I'm everything. Um, you know I I quote I quote in the book C.S. Lewis a couple of several different times he's just had a lot of impact on my life um him and the inklings and jrr tolkien and those guys and um i there's one point in which he says one plus god is a majority it's always a majority and if we could just recognize that you know that if if i have god um i have everything i need i there's a place too i quote mike novotny i love the quote from one of his recent book where he just said um and now I'm going to forget what he said, but uh, he he, <laughs> he he said that. Um, let me see if I can think of it. Oh, the worst your worst case scenario is that you end up with God and nothing else. I mean, that's 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 a great way of saying it. It's a little bit different twist on it, a little different way of looking at it. But if you have God. And and nothing else you get to the end of your life, you know, like, I just don't feel like I accomplished anything or I don't feel like anyone remembers me or notices me. And, you know, you get to the end of the life and you feel like I didn't really leave behind a legacy or at least I never got where right to that level I wanted to be. OK, uh, you're still a beloved in the Lord. And that's that's the amazing truth of the gospel that we just want to hammer in and we need to keep hammering in every day so that we that we really truly know it.
0: Yeah, I just want to say it again because it's such a—it's so profound—is that idea that um, if I lose everything, worst case scenario is I have God and nothing else. Like mm-hmm. that just doesn't sound like it's—it's it's easy to sit here at my desk in my nice warm <laughs> house and say that, right? But that doesn't <laughs> sound so bad, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, true. So, so what is it then? Like your whole first chapter of the book is all about the desire to be somebody. Um, mm-hmm. So, especially as Christians, and you—you you did say. Um, and it is apparent you know, in a blessed way in the book that it is written for people that don't necessarily, or it's written so that people that don't necessarily know Christ can be introduced to him as well in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but both as Christians and as people of the world, cause you know, we live in a world where we're both, what is it that makes us want to be somebody like, where does that desire to be somebody come from?
1: <sighs> yeah, it's a great, it's really a great question. Um, in some ways, I think it's the memory of, of paradise, the memory of Eden that's left within us, um, and I get to that in the end of the book when I talk about Zaynouk and the longing for home. Um, there's a longing to return to the garden to recognize that there there was a time when it was not like this, and God willing, there'll be a time when it won't be like this either. Um, there's a t- and that's looking at a negative way, but maybe a positive way is to say there was a time in which uh, the people. Uh, which human beings truly understood who they were and uh, what what value they had. Um, and there is a time we all long for when we will really understand in, in the fullness fullest way possible who we are and what we were made for. And so we're in this in-between time, this twilight time, where we're kind of always wondering, um, who am I really? And uh, what, you know, am I special or am I accepted or whatever else? It just seems like it's, it's just, it's almost like part of our DNA that we can't get rid of. Um, and so, you know, it, it, different people have talked about it in different ways. You know, like people say, um, what, who talked about the, there's, you know, there is, um, you've made us for yourself and our heartsless, are, our, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. I think is that Augustine? I forget. Sorry, that's not coming to my head. I think it's Augustine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think so. <laughs> yeah. And so there's this it we're, so that we have this within us. It's just like in our DNA that we recognize um, that I, I'm not full, I'm not complete, um, and I'm missing something that I need to I need to, the hole that I need to fill. Um, but everything we throw into it, it just seems as empty as it was before. And so we're desperately looking for what is it exactly that's going to plug that hole or fill that hole so that I, I feel whole um, in that way. And so I think it's just it's part of our nature. And it doesn't matter like, you know, being and having the opportunity to be a, a missionary. Um, there are so many things that are different about other cultures and they look at things so totally differently than Americans do. But at the base of it it's like the same deal. Like there's, there's this seeking for personhood, the seeking for identity desperately. You know, I want to know that I am somebody that I have value that I have worth. So it's, I don't know. That's one way to look at it. It's just, it's just, kind of this, we have this innate knowledge in our DNA that, that we were somebody at some point and we're desperately trying to get back there. Yeah. And to look at it really
0: simply, you know, when you talk about that that piece that's written into our DNA that's missing, right? In the perfection of the mm-hmm. garden, there was no question. Like I'm, I stand before the throne of God; He walks with me in the evening. You know, mm-hmm. there's no question of who I am, um, and now I've lost that identity, and and I'm fighting for it back. And that, I think that's mm-hmm. a I've, I've never thought about it that way before, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think you're spot mm-hmm. on with it um you in the book, you outline a whole bunch of different strategies of you know, well, you call them somebody's strategies, right um ways mm-hmm. that we try and get back that somebody ness that we're missing to make ourselves not a nobody do you do you notice any themes in those strategies um as far as like what people do like where do people turn um in order to
1: find their their personhood? great question i i i you know the thing that i keep coming back to in the book is that I wrote it um for myself and so like most of those things are things I struggle with occasionally I would kind of branch out and be like well I know other people who struggle with this so uh but I I wasn't I I've, I've told you know when I try to get it published and everything I said hey look I this isn't a comprehensive study of nobodyness it's it's like this is my take on it and my experience of it um, and so I, I don't know. There are themes, at least there's themes in my life uh, that I can spot. And then other people might look at it and go, um, "Yeah, I can't identify with that." But then they'll they'll kind of discover in their own lives. I think. I hope that the book helps them discover in their own lives where this this uh, you know these, these somebody strategies are are creeping in. Although I think that there are some that are sort of universal. And I one in particular is the the, the need for acceptance. Um, it it's interesting because you find people who say you know, like, I don't need people. I, I'm fine on my own. And even then, I, you know, I, I don't know. I have trouble believing that, that, you know, some of us definitely have it more than others where we're like, I, I got to be accepted by people. Otherwise, I have no value. But even the people sometimes who will say, no, I I don't need other people. I'm fine on my own. I just go, I can go live like a hermit and And I'd be totally happy even there uh, when I've had people say that to me, I can see in them and my interactions with them. They are still looking for acceptance from certain groups of people. It's very interesting to me, and I I hope I'm not going too far afield, but I've always thought it was interesting when you study um, like basically like tribes of people. And I don't don't, I'm not talking about like uh, cultural tribes talking about like. Um, you know, like I'm a person who likes X, right? I like, I like, you know, it used to be like Star Trek, Trekkies, I'm a Trekkie or whatever else like that. Um, and you kind of, you, you, when you get into these groups, you sort of like talk the same, you have the similar vocabulary, you sometimes you end up dressing the same, whatever. So even though you're like all those other groups out there, I don't care about their acceptance in this group. I'm dressing and talking and acting in such a way so that I do have the acceptance of this group. And so even people who say, I I don't need to be accepted by anybody. I don't care. Uh, People aren't my thing. There is some group somewhere that you are seeking acceptance from. And so I think that that one is a theme that I've seen kind of keep coming back again and again and again. And obviously like for, for me in particular, that one's more prevalent than it is for some other people, but I think it's, It's virtually impossible. And I, there may be somebody out there. I don't know that's like this, but it's virtually impossible to escape that one. It's just, you, you might have different groups that you're, or different people that you're trying to get acceptance from. I think a lot of us have like parent wounds too. And, and, and so we're, we're even there. We're like, you know, I didn't feel accepted by my parents maybe growing up. And, and now I'm, you know, when I'm 40, 50, was 60 years old or whatever, and I'm still kind of carrying that wound around and still looking for acceptance. Um, even if there's certain, a certain group of people I don't really care about, I'm still seeking acceptance with another group of people. Um, so I, a lot of the somebody strategies in my mind revolve around that idea of uh, acceptance. And even when you talk about like, um, like uh, trying to become somebody by your prosperity, um, you know, and like my accomplishments or whatever else like that, a lot of times that is still seeking acceptance. And if certainly if it's not seeking acceptance from people, it's seeking acceptance uh, from God, uh, or in some cases, you know, from yourself to be able to live with yourself. (laughs) Um, So it's it kind of all boils down to this acceptance piece. Well, and and
0: you mentioned several times the people that say, you know, I don't need anybody. Uh, Bring Shakespeare to mind, right? I think you protest too much. Yeah, right, um, right. Like yeah. it, in, in my effort to not need anyone, I now, like, if I can declare I need no one, then I'm still, like, I'm still demonstrating to everyone <laughs> yeah. that I don't need them. So it does matter what other people think. It does matter that other people know that I don't need them. Um and you know it just goes around in, in, in a in a circle then mm-hmm. of of what what do I actually need? Mm-hmm. Um, you refer to Jesus though, who you know obviously <laughs> you see in Scripture. I, one of my favorite it's one of my favorite stories in Scripture um, is the calling of Nathaniel, where he says, "Can anything good come from Nazareth?" <laughs> and and Jesus in, in just about every way was culturally and even scripture leads us to believe physically. In just about every way, he was a nobody. And mm-hmm. in your book you referred to him as the greatest nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it so important to know Jesus as the greatest
1: nobody? Um, that's a, such a great question. Um, the, the thing that pops into my head is this, and, and there's probably a lot of ways to answer this, but... Um, when you, you know, you, you get a chance to observe like other gods and other religions, um God is, just seems so distant. He's high up in a mountain and uh, we're just trying to get up there to him and at least get like into uh, some ring of his holiness or his acceptance by, by climbing up to him. But there's not a sense that in some way, uh, he loves us or that he'd be willing to do anything for us. He's just up far away and we got to figure out how to get up to him if we want to reap some of the benefits of what he offers. And You know, when you go to a temples in Asia, there is just absolutely no sense whatsoever that this God would even care about you, that, you know, you're looking at the idol. Um, there's there's one particular idol I'm thinking of, and he's got a huge like halberd type uh, weapon and he's just scowling at you and um, you, you're like that we're supposed to worship that guy i mean yeah i mean i because i don't want him to chop my head off i'll worship him but you know there's 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 not this sense of of love um and so when you know when john points out in his in his epistle god is love and this is how he showed his love among us by sending his one and only son that's just there's nothing like that in in the world um and so then you you start with this concept that god is love but then they, that second part that he sent his only son into the world that that puts pairs with God's love, God's incredible humility, which is also there's just just no equivalent in the world. I mean, anybody who says like, oh, all world religions are basically the same. You just you know try to be a good person, yada yada. They just haven't studied Christianity. They just they just they they just not familiar with what what the gospel is because the gospel says God is love and God is humble. Um, And so everything about the incarnation of Jesus reveals this, that he comes to this earth and he gives up everything so that that can be handed over to us. Even though he was, you know, he was rich for our sakes, he became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. I mean, that is so absolutely amazing. And the 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 nobodiness of Christ highlights just the distance God is willing to go to save his people and it's a it's such a beautiful thing and the the more that you mind the depths of that when you look at Christ and his humility um the the more that you're just amazed that he would go that far so that I could be exalted that high
0: yeah yeah, well he made him who had no sin to be sin for us, right? You could change mm-hmm. that to nobody. He made <laughs> he made him nobody so that we might be somebody, right? Yeah, um, it's beautiful. It's One it's a wonderful exchange. Um you mentioned earlier that uh that you uh, you mentioned earlier how important like how important Lutheran theology is um, especially when we we're talking about the the Asian cultures that you're working with, uh, but then even in the writing of the book, uh, there very much is a Lutheran tilt, if you will, um, mm-hmm. to your writing, and you put a very heavy emphasis on the means of grace in your in the section of your book where you talk about personal resu- resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you put such a heavy emphasis on the means of grace?
1: Yeah, that I, I the, this is a great question, and uh, I remember that the chapter before that one that talked about the personal impact of the resurrection, I talked about like the global and eternal effects of the resurrection. And you know, as I thought about that and I thought about this book, I realized that there there are always people there, and I I talk about this in this particular chapter. Um, there are always people who are sitting in the pews or the chairs or whatever it is you're you're sitting in for your your worship gathering um they're hearing the gospel and they realize Christ died for the sins of the world, but somehow they cannot put themselves in that category um and so they hear it, and they're like, Yeah, he died for all, but not for me and you're like, Wait, do you understand the definition of the word all? you know they they just don't they don't necessarily get it. And so they hear the gospel, but they're hearing it that that, that must be for somebody else because that couldn't be for somebody like me. And or they accept the concept like I'm forgiven. And yet it's just not it's not going deep into their heart for them to realize, well, wait a minute. Logically, then this is how my life could play out because I, I under, actually believe this, that it's not just for the world. It's for me. Um, there's a there's something there's an old. And I, boy, I'm gonna massacre it. But Martin Luther talked once about how, like, if you, you know, if you're questioning whether or not you're forgiven, it says God so loved the world. He said, if you're not sure you're part of the world, some really weird thing that he said. He says, uh, like, take your nose and twist it, and if blood comes out, then you know you're human, and basically you know <laughs> you know that you're a part of the world. And again, I'm, I like, I'm completely probably massacring it, but it just it often that picture is stuck in my head. If I'm really, if I'm sitting in worship and and the and the worship leader, the pastor, is telling me, your sins are forgiven. Um, and I, I think of that twisting of the nose. Does that include me? Well, if I twist my nose and blood comes out, I'm I'm also part of the human race, therefore, all includes me. So all that is background to say the, the point of the chapter of the resurrection getting personal with Mary Magdalene is is that um, so many of us overhear the gospel like we we hear it as though it's something for somebody else even though I'm a part of the world that that the gospel talks about um, in the sacraments then God comes to us individually and says to us this forgiveness for the world is for you so when when I washed you um, I was telling you you are part of the world that I saved and I have washed your sins away. And I have declared you mine. Um, When you take, taste this bread, you're not, you know, it's not, it's not the corporate church tasting this bread. You are maybe tasting it together with other members of the church, but you are tasting it individually. Take and eat, this is my body given for you. Um, You know, and as a parish pastor, I would always emphasize that I mean that this is my body. That's, that's a a key part to emphasize, but then given for you individually for you to take and eat so that you know, uh, by taste by touch by smell by feel uh, that you yourself were forgiven and redeemed in Christ, Um, that the benefits of the resurrection apply to you individually. And if, if you've been in that place, it's hard. I think maybe, I don't know, maybe there's uh, people out there who have not experienced that as much. And they're like, yeah, I get it. That's I, I'm part of everybody. And, and Christ uh, came to redeem the whole world. And, and they've always been able to make that connection. But for me, um, my, my particular personality, I can hear that. I can hear that spoken. Like the sins of the world are forgiven. You're a part of the world. I'm like, yep, I got it. Uh, but... <laughs> I'm still having really trouble having trouble buying that uh, or appropriating that into my own life. And so the sacraments then are the special way that God puts that uh, by all five senses into me and says that this is for you. Yeah. And I don't want to get too far into the
0: weeds on this, um, but there's a lot of churches and a lot of Christians. Um, who do not understand the sacraments as necessarily the divine touching um, earth right mm-hmm. um, how does how does my understanding of the sacraments um, change like how does it how does how does my understanding of the means of grace and of the sacraments um, influence you know my I guess my faith or maybe the richness of my faith or my even my understanding of my identity as a child of God
1: yeah. That's a good question too. Well, you got a lot of good questions, Charlie. <laughs> the- I'm putting your I'm putting your seminary professorship to the test here. Check
0: pick out your chops. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I, I maybe and maybe this is just reiterating or whatever, but I, I do think there's a sense in which we understand the global nature of the gospel. Um, the sacraments bring it down to an individual nature, and there's a um, it, it it's that maybe this is. This is kind of going to go a little bit afield, field, but, you know, I, the culture that I work in or the cultures that I work around here um, tend to be more communal in nature. Um, so they focus on the, the good of the group and um, and then Western culture that we come from tends to be more individualistic in nature. And w- when you compare both cultures, um, you at first, it's easy to think of one culture being so much better than the other. Uh, and then you begin to realize that because of the fall, uh, both cultures are um, off slightly. And you know, like Martin Luther would talk about how we're like a drunk on a horse and we you know we start falling to the left and then we when we realize, oh, I'm falling to the left, so then we overcorrect and we go to the right and we start falling off to the right and the the you know the gospel brings us back to the center and uh, the sacraments are just a beautiful way to help us that that way because, uh, the gospel is declared for all people. So it's communal in that sense that this is something that belongs to all people. And, and we're, when we're in church, uh, like in the worship gathering, we recognize that like, I'm not just here for me. It's not just about what I think of the sermon or what I think of the the songs or, or whatever it might be, uh, or how well I'm, you know, what, what I'm getting out of this. There's a, there's a corporate nature to this. And then I'm a part of a bigger body. And, um, it's something that it's very easy for us to lose in the West I'm part of that um, and then on, on the other side um, that sometimes you know in in other cultures that are more communal in nature it's it's hard for people to see like wow I'm actually I, I am individually loved by God and it's not just that I'm a part of this family or you know or that it, there's a whole other host of things you could say and and so, you know, as Jesus entered into a very communal society, um, and people saw themselves as part of a group, he also brought in this beautiful idea that you are also individually loved. And I think the, the, the beauty of, you know, on the night he was betrayed and he took the bread and and he introduced the Lord's Supper was, he is saying, um, for each of you, I, this is for all of you, and then this is for each of you individually. And um, I just, you know, you can imagine Peter, you know, after he just totally, you know, fails his Lord, denies him three times or whatever, thinking back to that meal. But yes, even though Jesus knew this was coming, Jesus individually fed me the body and blood and said, this is given for you. Um, and so, yes, I'm a part of a, a global whole. I'm global. I'm fallen just like you know my community, and I'm also redeemed, just like my community. But in the sacraments, um, you're telling me individually, I I did this for you, and so it. it you know, it's just this beautiful thing that that Christianity does that that is just so, to me, is so absent in so many. You know, really, other religions. That is that I'm, um, I am, what is it? Communally loved, and I am individually loved. I'm a part of something much bigger than myself, and yet the God who is infinitely bigger than I has given me individual attention. Does that, does that help? I'm, I love I'm it. I'm not sure if I moved that forward at all.
0: <laughs> I, that, it was a, that was a wonderful, rich answer, and uh, I don't know if there is an answer to the question that I asked. It was just a good challenge to throw out there, and you, <laughs> you, you preached a sermon on it, and it was wonderful. That was a fantastic <laughs> answer. um and 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 what you really i mean what i was hoping that you would kind of say there um, was to talk about the individual nature of grace and forgiveness um and and that's one of the Mm -hmm. things that you also mentioned in your book is how difficult this is for individuals to i mean that's really the foundation of the book is how difficult it is for individuals to understand that i myself as i stand stand redeemed and one of the most poignant Mm um uh Pictures, I guess, that you painted in your book um, was a, a scene which I, I have a I have a different one that but really really bothers me. Uh, but a scene of essentially like a purity culture um, moment, and I think it was like at a concert that you that you described mm-hmm. where they're passing around um, a rose, right? And at the end, mm-hmm. you know, the rose is trampled and beaten up and ugly, and it's it's gross. And, and the question is, who wants that rose? Um, And I don't remember if it was you said that you were standing in the crowd or somebody else that was telling you the story. But the whoever was telling the story is standing in the audience going, Jesus wants the rose. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Why is it that you put such a big emphasis and you really did put put a pretty major emphasis on um, that, that, well, on the redemption of those who have been either sexually abused or I love the way that you said sexually broken too. Right. Uh, So either Mm -hmm. abused by someone else or have abused my sexuality myself. Why did you put such a major emphasis on, um, that particular kind of set of sins? Um, and what is it that makes it those such a big challenge for, for us, particularly as those, those of us who know Christ?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, the the guy who said that originally was a pastor Matt Chandler. He told that story, and it just had it stuck with me for years. Just so impactful um, to think about the uh, the beauty of the gospel that Jesus wants that broken rose. Um, when it comes to this topic, it's just very very difficult to speak uh, too, too carefully, right? I mean, you you can't be too careful in the way that you speak. Um, so I I don't want to you know, I'm not an expert in this area as far as how to address these issues, but I think that so often we think about being nobody, feeling like a nobody. Our first assumption is it's things that I have done. um, And so that's why I feel like nobody and and how do I become somebody again? Uh, Again, in differences in culture, um, we in the West tend to live in a guilt innocence culture. And so um, we naturally think very easily about guilt innocence, that that uh, th- those two concepts. And so we realize, okay, if I've done something wrong, then somehow I need to atone for that. I do something good to make up for it and put things back in balance. At least that's our natural way of looking at it. So we tend to think a lot and terms of guilt. And so that, that bleeds over. And then to our concept of nobodiness is like, I, I feel guilty um, because I've done something or said something wrong. And so now I need to do something to make up for that. Um, but there's the other side of that is, is shame. And it, there's different ways to define shame. Um, and I talk about that a little bit in the book, not in a technical way, but I bring it up a little bit, but um, there's a really great book for pastoral theology um, called the Care of Souls by Harold Sinkbile and he says he he talks about shame in this way as like you know guilt is what we have done, and shame is the the sin that's been done against us, and that we kind of um, live and sometimes live in that shame and and don't know how to get rid of it, <clears throat> and so that that's a whole other side of nobodiness that. We recognize, of course, we're all sinful and that we've all done wrong things. And that contributes to the sense of nobodiness. But uh, one of the most profound attacks on our somebodyness, you know, the sense that we have value comes from being shamed by, you know, by others, being sinned against by other people. And um, it's like um, somehow maybe it's this way that like guilt is we to a certain extent we can identify it. You know, I wasn't supposed to do X. I did X. I feel guilty. Now I need to make up for it somehow. Um, shame. We might be able to identify X was done to me and maybe X was done repeatedly to me. Um, and yet somehow it seems out of our grasp to say, well, what's the way out of that? You know, like, um, you know, in other words, even with, with guilt, it's still like impossible to win our way back into somebody by doing good things to make up for bad. But it seems a little bit clearer to us, anyways. Like, oh, I, I, if I do these good things, I'll feel better about the bad things that I did. But with shame, it's just like, it's, it's this brokenness, and, and it feels like I don't even know how to get out of this. Um, you know, so sometimes people who are, um, in the case where they've been abused, they become abusers. You know, so it's not even like a really logical way to get out from underneath that shame but they just feel like this is, this is my only choice forward or whatever, or, you know, or the people that have been abused and they're just constantly thinking about why did this happen to me? Um, why, you know, where was God? Why didn't he stop it? Um, you know, feeling abandoned and broken and reliving that, that abuse regularly. Um, the big question might be in many cases, what if I can't get past it? Um, and, and a lot of the answers to those questions, like where was God? Why didn't he stop it? Um, we can't really answer well. I mean, it's, it's difficult to answer them in a satisfactory way, and sometimes it's dangerous to even try uh, to answer those uh, to, you know, to give people the wrong impression. Um, and so, I, I don't know if I'm explaining that really well, but it feels like um, the somebody, the 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 nobody feelings that come from shame sometimes are even more difficult um, to to deal with or to let go of. Um, yeah. Well, and and
0: I think and this is I mean, I can probably speak more boldly um than than you can just because of my situation. Um but I think I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding in our culture too about um the spiritual aspect of our sexuality and I think that that um in some way might play a role in that too of um like it is such an intimate and spiritual thing um mm. and we don't necessarily treat it as such um both in our both in exercise but then in the healing process too i think sometimes we we abandon the spiritual aspect of it um and, and that not necessarily um not necessarily as as a victim or as someone who is actively in a process of healing but as people who are then speaking about it um, mm-hmm. i think that might be to your point of shame being a powerful a powerful tool of, of the devil frankly mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it uh um i think that's one of those areas where it's really easy to pile on shame because we have a fundamental misunderstanding of um just the the power of <laughs> the shame and the power of uh the sacrifice
1: that was made in our place yeah yeah you when you said that it made me think of my my wife shared with me that um, uh, Doctor Dr. Julie Slattery says that every question about sexuality is ultimately a spiritual question, um, you know. And so, um, if someone has sinned against sexually, um, they and their body, their body and their spirit are sinned against in a devastating way, and there's just deep, deep woundedness that comes from that. So again, it's it's difficult to answer the questions like, "Where was God? Why didn't you stop it?" But Here's one thing we can say definitively: God is still good, Um, and if we really believe that Christ took on all of our sins, our sorrow, and our shame, um, then He knows exactly uh, what the broken and abused person feels like. And that's that's that's. I mean, again, go back to who God is. Like the fact that God is humble. Uh, that God is truly loving in, in this way that he acts on our behalf and humbles himself to such depths that he allows himself to, to know this is the shame that my beloved ones are feeling in the fullest sense, in, in the complete sense, all of that shame. Um, man, that's, that's just unbelievable. So if God knows that, like physically emotionally, spiritually now knows that, exactly what it was that I've experienced. Um, and he is not, not only understands it now and I, on that level, but he is true God and he, he knows how to weave all these things somehow to a good end. That there's incredible comfort in that.
0: Right, <laughs> right. Um, and it seems like we miss this a lot in Christian circles, this total, total salvation—like, mm-hmm. you know, told we are completely redeemed. We are completely justified. Um, what teachings do Christians often hear, or maybe what Christian, maybe what teachings don't Christians often hear, um, which can make it hard to believe that Jesus takes us just simply as we are?
1: That's like, yeah, that's a great question. And you kind of mentioned that you might ask me something like that, and I, I, I was really thinking about this. What do we hear? And I'm wondering if to a certain extent, maybe we hear it, um, but, you know, again, we maybe we're overhearing it, uh, certain things. So like when we, a lot of times when we hear the gospel, especially if we grew up in the church, we're like, um, you know, oh, that's really interesting, um, you know, and and uh, I've heard that before. and And I suppose there's probably someone here today that needs to hear that. But I kind of know that, you know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins and whatever else like that. But what ends up happening is that we overhear it. Like in other words, it we we just hear right over it, you know. It's like uh, you just pass it because you've 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 heard it so many times. Where you know things like that you keep passing every day, you don't even notice them anymore unless something traumatic happens or something surprising happens, and all of a sudden you notice. Oh, I never, I didn't remember that this store was here. Or this uh, this thing was happening here, um, and so. To this question, I, I thought of an, another quote from Martin Luther, where he said that the gospel is a rare guest in the hearts of men, but the law is their daily companion. And again, that's probably not exact, but it's close. Um, and and uh, so, what can happen is, I think Christians hear the gospel week after week. Um, you know, maybe it's in the confession, the absolution. Uh, it's in it's in the readings every week. Um, it's in the sermon, but they're like, yeah, I I know that gospel part. Let's get to other things that I need to hear Uh, because the law is something that always accuses and accuses and it's naturally written in our hearts. We know oh, i have to do something right. I, I, you know, I have to try to become more obedient or I have to repent to this or whatever. It it makes sense to us. um, Even if we fight with it and don't agree with it, you know, like even if, even if in a weak, weak moment, we're like, I don't want to do this. Um, we still know. Oh, this makes sense, though. I should be doing this. Um, so when that, so then you know, we we can easily kind of ignore or just pass over the gospel uh, parts and sort of stow it away. And like, well, when I feel exceptionally guilty or whatever else, then I'll I'll bring it out. It's like a like a jack for a car. Um, you know, it, like the car jack, it has a good use, but once I finish with it, I, I don't, I stow it in the trunk until I have a flat tire again. I don't think about the jack as I'm driving down the road. Um, and we can kind of put the, the gospel in that sort of very pragmatic and very, very functional air, you know, area of like, I'll, I'll use it when I need it. Um, and so if, if, if we could learn to like really stop every time we hear the, hear the gospel, and hear it afresh and recognize, do you you know? Do we understand what exactly God was willing to do here, to to redeem us? Uh, what exactly He was willing to do so that we could be lifted up to the the heights that He is? I mean, the just the term, one term in the Bible that would that should just like knock our socks off every day, and and humble us and exalt us is co-heir. I mean, co. H-E-I-R, right? Just co-heir. You are co-heirs with Christ. Like, oh my word, uh, that God would give up his throne. He comes to this earth. And then when he, he raises back up to that throne, he He brings us all with him and says, yeah, you are the firstborn sons and daughters with me. And everything that is mine is is yours. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And then the scriptures the New Testament is, is covered with this stuff. I mean, we talk about, you know, of course, being priests and uh, whatever, but just think about being royal. Um, what a, I mean, just that that we are exalted as to reign as kings and queens forever uh, with Christ. Or, you know, um, there's a passage that's applied to Christ in the Messianic Psalms about you know He will crush them under His feet like pottery. And then that in the in Revelation that's applied to the people of God. Um, you know, so then like having this and this incredible power. Um, That's attributed to us. So this glory and honor and power and um, beauty that's attributed to us. If we just really stopped on the gospel and parked out there once in a while, you know, more than more than just like hearing it and being like, yeah, that's nice. um, That would That would we would just be stunned at it, and and I'm not saying that I've got that figured out. I mean, sometimes I'm in my devotion time, I read a chapter, and I'm like, wait a minute, what did I just read? You know, and I got to go back and try to slow myself down and try to absorb that again. So I don't know. That's when you when you asked about that, the teachings that we hear or not hear that make it hard to believe that Jesus takes us as we are. I think it's we naturally hear the law. It's just, it's like, yep, I'm in tune with that. I recognize that I need to change there, whatever else like that. But we don't naturally hear the gospel, um, and that's probably where we need to grow the most in really understanding who Jesus is, what He's done for us, and who we are because of it. Yeah, I I just love listening
0: to you talk about talk about the gospel. You have a wonderful way of just presenting us of what can be very complicated. Thing in a very simple way. And I appreciate it, both in your book and in just conversation with you here. It's really refreshing. Oh, thanks. Um, and this is, this is wonderful. Um, with that in mind, uh, when I got to the end, I think of chapter four or section four of your book, I thought it was over. Um, and then you launched into this wonderful um, kind of an exposition of purpose and calling and vocation. So this huge uh, application section, um, not huge necessarily in length, but in uh, how profound it is in our in our daily lives. Um, this, this application section of what then does it mean to be somebody? Mm-hmm. Um, you and you did put a heavy emphasis, emphasis on purpose and calling and vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, why are these things so important for a
1: a nobody or somebody that is a somebody? Right. Good. Good. Yeah, I I, I thought uh, this is a great thought and a great question, and um, I would the first thing I would say is these things are not important to a nobody, or or to say it this way, maybe we should say um, they take on unhealthy emphases when people are stuck in a nobody mentality, and so that's why, you know, the first you know two thirds of the book is like this is who uh, who we are in Christ, and then there's a you know section on purpose, calling, and vocation basically as as God's, somebody's. And then the, even that then is followed by, our, and the book ends with a focus on uh, what happens afterwards, you know, like a, uh, going home to be with Christ forever and Christ being the center of the center of all things. Um, so, um, you know, in the early in the book, I say who you are affects how you live and what you do. Um, so if you can say, um, you can say if your who is answered, like you understand I, who I am, I am a somebody in Christ, then you're you're freed up to address the how and why of, of life. And then um, you think, well, okay, so why am I here and how can I serve this wonderful God who loved me so much? And once you're there, um, you know who you are, then all of a sudden the, the purposes and vocations of life become all the sweeter um, because you're not doing them anymore to earn the acceptance of God or anybody else. You're doing them from a sense of joy, wanting to honor God and and bless the people around you. So you're you're thinking in terms of um, now that I know I'm somebody like, how do I how do I live that out and and really bless other bless other people? And um, I think it's important um so that that's kind of like the approach to it first, like why these these have to be important these are important, but they have to be important in that context, so that things don't get out of whack in your life, where you're back to like okay, I'm loving on nobody, so that I feel like somebody, you know those kind of things, so that's the context but when then why are they so important is that um you've been in in Christ you've been given this freedom now, and you don't have to spend your time trying, you know, serving to get to that point of feeling like you're, you're somebody. I mean, I've heard a lot of stuff from Christians about legacy. And I, I think there's really some good stuff to that. Like, think about your legacy, um, you know, env- envision the end of your life and live your life backwards, those kind of things. I think there's, there's some goodness to that. Um, but, but that also can, can, can lead to if we're not, if we're not firm in who we are as somebody can lead to like, just this, you know, this frantic living, um, you know, like to become somebody. So if you fully know who you are, um, and then you have this freedom, you know, like I, I've just been freed up now in all my vocations to serve God and to bless others. And I think um, you know, I I one of the places what I really wanted to emphasize there was as you do that in your freedom, uh, remember the the nobodies, you know, the people that are considered nobodies around you and and serve them. Um, because there's such an emphasis of that in the in the Bible of remembering those folks, and i've got a whole list of passages in there of you know just where God talks about his care for the the orphan, the widow, the overlooked, and um just remembering remembering them to to be able to display for them as the hands and feet of voice of jesus um, just how much they are cherished by the God of the universe. Um, and and serving them in that way. And then recognizing, too, that there's so much you can learn from nobody's. It was really a like a very profound moment for me, or, or a very helpful moment for me, when I was studying about Rahab and preparing a sermon and realized what an impact this former prostitute had on the people of God, like how God included her in the family line of the Savior. But even there, even beyond that, her testimony about the Lord is absolutely incredible. It's like this incredible testimony from a woman who had just got out of prostitution, just got out of pagan, paganism. And here she is telling these, these, you know, the, the Joshua and the, the spies uh, all about the Lord God and how amazing the Lord God is. And I, and as I was doing that, I contrasted that with the, the 12 spies who went into The country forty years before, and they were like the people are giants. We're gonna die. You know, we can't go into the the promised land. We're gonna totally fail. Such a contrast there, and I think so. This just one other aspect of it. But when we serve nobodies, we we you know or what people there's those who are considered nobodies. We we kind of come at it maybe from a sense of easily fall into the sense of superiority, not that like they're horrible people and I need to help them that way. But we, we think I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm giving a hand down, you know, I'm handing out something to people uh, and not recognizing that even in my vocations, when I'm serving those people that are considered nobody um, I am, I am being blessed by that in, in many ways. And so um, that was, I mean, it's just an emphasis, something that I thought was a really cool takeaway from that. And so it's, there's a lot more there to explore. Um, but anyway, that's just a thought I could share. Yeah, I don't remember where I read this, but I've I've read somewhere in a book
0: uh the idea that Christ is no respecter of persons.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: we all stand we all stand in the same condition before the throne of God. Um and uh that should then guide our attitudes towards people here mm-hmm. on the earth.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Amen. All right. Uh, before we plug your stuff and get out here, um, do you have
1: anything else you want to talk about here? Any final word? No, this has been great. These are just I mean, <laughs> great. Have great questions. And and uh, yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Uh, Very glad to have you on the show. Glad to make your
0: acquaintance, too. Um, Really, really excited about your book. I, uh, to be honest, have already ordered a couple of copies because I want to give them away to other people. So Ah, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am I am genuinely excited uh, to share your book um, with other people and to get it in the hands of people. Um, So with that in mind, why don't you go ahead and uh, plug your book? Let us know where you could find it and any way people can contact you.
1: Yeah, so you can, for the finding the book or getting the link that takes you to the publishing house where it's being published, you can go to matthewdobler.us, so M-A-T-T-H-E-W-D-O-E-B-L-E-R.us, just go there. And then it's at least has like uh, some a, a couple of introductions to the book um, or a couple of thoughts from the book and then a link to uh, the publishing house. Um, so you can go there. You can read the introduction of the first chapter as well. Um, if you want to send me an email, there's an email uh, link at the bottom, but it's just Dobler at gmail.com. Um, just, you know, feel, anyone can feel free to write me if they have questions or whatever else. And then I'll try to keep people who write me, keep them updated on uh, the book is available for, for pre-order on the online publishing site in uh, like a paper copy. Uh, they, the plan is to make it available also for pre-order on Amazon Kindle. Uh, and then, um, real soon here, I'll be recording the audible version of it too. And so if that gets done beforehand, then God willing, it would be available on audible as pre-order as well. So there's some places you can find it. Awesome. All kinds of wonderful blessings.
0: Um, It's it's ha. I'm yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I'm nerding out a little bit. I am very excited uh, to see your book out there in the world. So uh, I'll put all those links in the in the description below. So I'll put the NPH link to the book. Um, I'll put Matt's email address down there and his website along with my links. Um, Thank you very much, Matt, for your for your time. I know it's bright and early in the morning there. Um, Mm -hmm. Hope I caught you. Hope I caught you after the coffee kicked in here a little bit. Uh, I know. I know. I, I. threw some big ones at you today, but we are, we are very appreciative of your time. Um, blessings on your ministry over there, uh, in East Asia, um, on your mentorship there too. Um, and we will continue to keep you in our, in our prayers as we, as we go into the coming months here.
1: Thanks so much, brother. Really appreciate it.
0: All right. Uh, gentlemen, go be the men that God created you to be. We'll talk to you next time. On behalf of all those involved in producing, recording, and publishing this episode, thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. We hope it helps you along your journey to be a man after God's own heart. Be sure to check out the Gird Up channel on YouTube. There you will find many podcast episodes just like this one, but you will also find exclusive video content geared at helping you be the man that God created you to be by introducing you to other godly men, teaching you how to behave, study, dress, act, eat, and live like a man of God, and you'll find devotions to help you grow in faith. Please consider supporting Gird Up Ministries by donating on Patreon, shopping in the online store at girdupministries.com, or by making a $5 cup of coffee donation at girdupministries.com. Those donations help us make more great content just like this for young men just like you. Make sure that you like, follow, friend, and subscribe to Gird Up and our guests on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Those links are in the description. And as always, we will be praying for you on your journey. Blessings, men. Time to gird up and go be the man that God created you to be.